when I published Ulysses by James Joyce in my little bookshop called Shakespeare and Company in Paris. Look, look, the dust is growing. My branches lost Lord James. Stately, plump, buck bargain. All perfume, yes, and his heart was going like mad. And yes, I said yes, I will, yes. Friends of Shakespeare and Company read Ulysses by James Joyce. Read today by Katie Kitamura. And she tickled Tiny Todd's two cheeks to make him forget, and played here's the Lord Mayor, here's his two horses, here's his gingerbread carriage, and here he walks in, chin-chopper, 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 chin. But Edie got as cross as two sticks about him getting his own way like that from everyone always petting him. I'd like to give him something, she said, so I would, where, I won't say. And the beto T-Tom laughed sissy merrily. Gertie McDowell bent down her head, and crimsoned at the idea of sissy saying an unladylike thing like that out loud, she'd be ashamed of her life to say, blushing a deep, rosy red. And Edie Boardman said she was sure the gentleman opposite heard what she said, but not a pin cared sis. Let him, she said with a pert toss of her head, and if he can't tilt of her nose. Give it to him, too, on the same place, as quick as I look at him. Madcap sis with her curls. You had to laugh at her sometimes. For instance, when she asked you would you have some more Chinese tea and jazzberry ram, and when she drew the jugs, too, and the men's faces on her nails with red ink, make you split your sides, or when she wanted to go where, you know, she said, she wanted to run and pay a visit to the Miss White. That was just like Sissy Cums. Oh, and will you ever forget the evening she dressed up in her father's suit and hat and the burned cork moustache and walked down Tritonville Road smoking a cigarette? There was none to come up to her for fun, but she was sincerity itself, one of the bravest and truest hearts heaven ever made, not one of your two-faced things too sweet to be wholesome. And then there came out upon the air the sound of voices and the pealing anthem of the organ. It was a men's temperance retreat conducted by the missioner, the Reverend John Hughes S.J., Rosary, Sermon, and Benediction of the Most Blessed Sacrament. They were there gathered together without distinction of social class, and a most edifying spectacle it was to see, in that simple fame beside the waves, after the storms of this weary world, kneeling before the feet of the Immaculate, reciting the litany of Our Lady of Laredo, beseeching her to intercede for them the old familiar words, Holy Mary, Holy Virgin of Virgins. How sad to poor Gertie's ears! Had her father only avoided the clutches of the demon drink by taking the pledge, or those powders of drink habit cured in Pearson's weekly, she might now be rolling in her carriage second to none. Over and over had she told herself that, as she mused by the dying embers in a brown study without the lamp because she hated two lights, or oftentimes gazing out of the window dreamily by the hour at the rain falling on the rusty bucket, thinking— but that vile decoction which has ruined so many hearths and homes had cast its shadow over her childhood days. Nay, she had even witnessed in the home circle deeds of violence caused by intemperance, and had seen her own father, a prey to the fumes of intoxication, forget himself completely, for if there is one thing of all things that Gertie knew, it was a man who lifts his hand to a woman save in the way of kindness, deserves to be branded as the lowest of the low. And still the voices sang in supplication to the Virgin most powerful, Virgin most merciful, and Gertie, wrapped in thought, 
scarce saw or heard her companions, or the twins at their boyish gambols, or the gentleman off Sandy Mount Green that Sissy Caffrey called the man that was so like himself passing along the strand taking a short walk. You never saw him any way screwed, but still and for all that, she would not like him for her father because he was too old, or something, or on account of his face, it was a palpable case of Dr. Fell, or his carbuncly nose with the pimples on it, and his sandy moustache a bit white under his nose. Poor father! With all his fault she loved him still when he sang, Tell me, Mary, how to woo thee, or my love in cottage near Rochelle, and they had stewed cockles and lettuce with Lazen's bees salad dressing for supper, and when he sang, The moon hath raised, with Mr. Dignum that died suddenly and was buried, God have mercy on him, from a stroke. Her mother's birthday, that was, and Charlie was home on his holidays, and Tom and Mr. Dignam and Mrs. and Patsy and Freddie Dignam, and they were to have had a group taken. No one would have thought the end was so near. Now he was laid to rest. And her mother said to him to let that be a warning to him for the rest of his days, and he couldn't even go to the funeral on account of the gout, and she had to go into town to bring him the letters and samples from his office about Catesby's cork lino, artistic standard designs, fit for a palace, gives tip-top wear, and always bright and cheery in the home. A sterling good daughter was Gertie, just like a second mother in the house, a ministering angel, too, with a little heart worth its weight in gold, and when her mother had those raging, splitting headaches, who was it rubbed on the menthol cone on her forehead but Gertie, though she didn't like her mother taking pinches of snuff, and that was the only single thing they ever had words about, taking snuff. Everyone thought the world of her for her gentle ways. It was Gertie who turned off the gas at the main every night, and it was Gertie who tacked up on the wall of that place where she never forgot, every fortnight, the chlorate of lime, Mr. Tunney's, the grocer's Christmas almanac, the picture of Halcyon Days, where a young gentleman in the costume they used to wear then with a three-cornered hat was offering a bunch of flowers to his lady love with old-time chivalry through her lattice window. You could see there was a story behind it. The colors were done something lovely. She was in a soft, clinging white, in a studied attitude, and the gentleman was in chocolate, and he looked a thorough aristocrat. She often looked at them dreamily, when there for a certain purpose, and felt her own arms, that were white and soft, just like hers, with the sleeves back, and thought about those times, because she had found out in Walker's pronouncing dictionary that belonged to Grandpapa Giltrap, about the halcyon days, what they meant. The twins were now playing in the most approved brotherly fashion, till at last Master Jackie, who was really as bold as brass, there was no getting behind that, deliberately kicked the ball as hard as ever he could down toward the seaweedy rocks. Needless to say, poor Tommy was not slow to voice his dismay, but luckily the gentleman in black, who was sitting there by himself, came gallantly to the rescue and intercepted the ball. Our two champions claimed their plaything with lusty cries, and to avoid trouble, Sissy Caffrey called to the gentleman to throw it to her, please. The gentleman aimed the ball once or twice and threw it up the strand towards Sissy Caffrey, but it rolled down the slope and stopped right under Gertie's skirt, near the little pool by the rock. The twins clamoured again for it, and Sissy told her to kick it away and let them fight for it, so Gertie drew back her foot, but she wished her stupid ball hadn't come rolling down to her. She gave a kick, but she missed, and Edie and Sissy laughed. "'If you fail, try again,' Edie Boardman said. Gertie smiled assent and bit her lip. A delicate pink crept into her pretty cheek, but she was determined to let them see, so she just lifted her skirt a little, but just enough, and took good aim, and gave the ball a jolly good kick, and it went ever so far, and the two twins after it down toward the shingle. Pure jealousy, of course, it was nothing else to draw attention on account of the gentleman opposite looking. She felt the warm flush, a danger signal always with Gertie and McDowell, 
surging and flaming into her cheeks. Till then they had only exchanged glances of the most casual, but now under the brim of her new hat she ventured a look at him, and the face that met her gaze there in the twilight, wan and strangely drawn, seemed to her the saddest she had ever seen. Through the open window of the church the fragrant incense was wafted, and with it the fragrant names of her who was conceived without stain of original sin. Spiritual vessel, pray for us, honorable vessel, pray for us, vessel of singular devotion, pray for us, mystical rose. And careworn hearts were there, and toilers for their daily bread, and many who had erred and wandered, their eyes wet with contrition, but for all that bright with hope, for the Reverend Father Hughes had told them what the great St. Bernard said in his famous prayer of Mary, the most pious virgin's intercessory power, that it was not recorded in any age that those who implored her powerful protection were ever abandoned by her. The twins were now playing again right merrily, for the troubles of childhood are but as fleeting summer showers. Sissy played with baby Boardman till he crowed with glee, clapping baby hands in air. Peep! she cried behind the hood of the pushcar, and Edie asked where was Sissy gone, and then Sissy popped up her head and cried, Ah! And my word, did the little chap enjoy that? And then she told him to say Papa. Say Papa, baby. Say Papa, pa, 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 pa. And baby did his level best to say it, for he was very intelligent for eleven months, everyone said, and big for his age, and the picture of health. A perfect little bunch of love. And he would certainly turn out to be something great, they said. Ha-ja, ja-ja, ha-ja. Sissy wiped his little month with the dribbling bib, and wanted him to sit up properly and say pa-pa-pa, but when she undid the strap she cried out, holy St. Dennis, that he was pulsing wet, and to double the half-blanket the other way under him. Of course, his infant majesty was most obstreperous at such toilet formalities, and he let everyone know it. Ha-ba-ba-ha-ba! And two great, big, lovely, big tears coursing down his cheeks. It was all no use soothering him with no, 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 baby, no, and telling him about the gee and where was the puff-puff, but sis, always ready-witted, gave him in his mouth the tea of the sucking bottle, and the young heathen was quickly appeased. Gertie wished to goodness they would take their squalling baby home out of that, and not get on her nerves no hour to be out, and the little brats of twins, she grazed out toward the distant sea. It was like the paintings that man used to do on the pavement with all the colored chalks, and such a pity, too, leaving there to be all blotted out the evening and the clouds coming out, and the bailey light on hell, and to hear the music like that, and the perfume of those incense they burn in the church like a kind of waft. And while she gazed, her heart went pit-a-pat. Yes, it was her he was looking at, and there was meaning in his look. His eyes burned into her as though they would search her through and through, read her very soul. Wonderful eyes they were, superbly expressive, but could you trust them? People were so queer, she could see at once by his dark eyes and his pale intellectual face that he was a foreigner, the image of the photo she had of Martin Harvey, the matinee idol, only for the moustache, which she preferred because she wasn't stage-struck like Winnie Rippingham, that wanted they two to always dress the same on account of a play, but she could not see whether he had an aquiline nose or a slightly retroussé from where he was sitting. He was in deep mourning, she could see that, and the story of a haunting sorrow was written on his face. She would have given worlds to know what it was. He was looking up so intently, so still, and he saw her kick the ball. Perhaps he could see the bright steel buckles of her shoes if she swung them like that thoughtfully with the toes down. She was glad that something told her to put on the transparent stockings, thinking Reggie Wiley might be out, but that was far away. Here was that of which she had so often dreamed. It was he who mattered, and there was joy on her face because she wanted him, because she felt instinctively that he was like no one else. The very heart of the girl-woman went out to him, her dream husband, 
because she knew on the instant it was him. If he had suffered more sin against than sinning, or even, even if he had been himself a sinner or a wicked man, she cared not. Even if he was a Protestant or Methodist, she could convert him easily if he truly loved her. There were wounds that wanted healing with heart balm. She was a womanly woman, not like other flighty girls, unfeminine he had known, those cyclists showing off what they hadn't got, and she just yearned to know all, to forgive all, if she could make him fall in love with her, make him forget the memory of the past. Then mayhap he would embrace her gently, like a real man, crushing her soft body to him, and love her, his own as girly, for herself alone. Refuge of sinners, comfortress of the afflicted, or pro nobis. Well has it been said that whosoever prays to her with faith and constancy can never be lost or cast away, and fitly is she too a heaven of refuge for the afflicted because of the seven dolors which transpierced her own heart. Gertie could picture the whole scene in the church, the stained-glass windows lighted up, the candles, the flowers, and the blue banners of the Blessed Virgin Sodality, and Father Conroy was helping Canon O'Hanlon at the altar, carrying things in and out with his eyes cast down. He looked almost a saint, and his confession box was so quiet and clean and dark that his hands were just like white wax, and if ever she became a Dominican nun in their white habit, perhaps he might come to the convent for the novena of St. Dominic. He told her that time when she told him about that, in confession, crimsoning up to the roots of her hair, for fear he could see, not to be troubled, because that was only the voice of nature, and we were all subject to nature's laws, he said, in this life, and that was no sin, because that came from the nature of woman instituted by God, he said, and that our blessed lady herself said to the archangel Gabriel, Be it done unto me according to thy word. He was so kind and holy, and then often and often she thought and thought, could she work a rouge tea cosy with embroidered floral design for him as a present, or a clock? They had a clock, she noticed, on the mantelpiece, white and gold, with canary bird that came out of a little house to tell the time, the day she went there about the flowers, for the forty hours' adoration, because it was hard to know what sort of a present to give or perhaps an album of illuminated views of Dublin or some place. The exasperating little brats or twins began to quarrel again, and Jackie threw the ball out toward the sea, and they both ran after it. Little monkeys, common as ditchwater. Someone ought to take them and give them a good hiding for themselves to keep them in their places, the both of them. And Sissy and Edie shouted after them to come back, because they were afraid the tide might come in on them and be drowned. Jackie? Tommy? Not they. What a great notion they had. So Sissy said it was the very last time she'd ever bring them out. She jumped up and called them, and she ran down the slope past him, tossing her hair behind her, which had a good enough color, if there had been more of it, with all the thingamary she was always rubbing into it. She couldn't get it to grow long, because it wasn't natural, so she could just go and throw her hat at it. She ran with long, gandry strides. It was a wonder she didn't rip up her skirt, but the side that was too tight on her, because there was a lot of the tomboy about Sissy Caffrey, and she was a forward piece whenever she thought she had a good opportunity to show off. And just because she was a good runner, she ran like that, so that he could see all the end of her petticoat running, and her skinny shanks up as far as possible. It would have served her just right if she had tripped up over something accidentally on purpose with her high crooked French heels on her, to make her look tall, and got a fine tumble. Tableau. That would have been a very charming expose for a gentleman like that to witness. Queen of angels, queen of patriarchs, queen of prophets, of all saints, they prayed, queen of the most holy rosary, and then Father Conroy handed the thoroughbred to Canon O'Hanlon, and he put in the incense and sense of blessed sacrament, and Sissy Caffrey caught the two twins, and she was itching to give them a ringing good clip on the ear, but she didn't, because she thought he might be watching. But she never made a bigger mistake in all her life, because Gertie could see without looking that he never took his eyes off of her, 
And then Canon O'Hanlon handed the thurible back to Father Conroy and knelt down, looking up at the Blessed Sacrament, and the choir began to sing Tantum Ergo, and she just swung her foot in and out in time, as the music rose and fell to the Tantum Ergosa Cramentum. Three and eleven she paid for these stockings and sparrows of George's Street on the Tuesday, no, the Monday before Easter, and there wasn't a brack on them, and that was what he was looking at, transparent, not at her insignificant one, that had neither shape nor form, the cheek of her, because he had eyes in his head to see the difference for himself.